And please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 particularly, but printed on your bulletin are those verses and some space for you to take notes if you care to do so. The book of James is a book of wisdom. It's a wisdom book of the New Testament that tells us about what lively faith looks like. There are many faiths that fall short of a lively faith, but James is particular about what this faith that evidences itself in fruit that perseveres, what this kind of faith looks like. And last time we, we saw how that God uses trials, that God uses trials and suffering in our lives in order to build that faith, in order to strengthen that faith. We saw that informed faith brings us steadfastness. We saw that tested faith brings us maturity, and that wise faith brings us stability. With that kind of faith now, that instruction that James gives us, he now gives us examples. As a wise teacher, he not only gives you the principles of of what the truth is, but then he gives it examples, puts feet to it. how, How does it live its way out in our lives? We see that wisdom has to be shown in the way that we face the temptations of treasure and of time. A treasure, what, what God gives us, what we're given by God makes us stewards. The, this principle of stewardship is something that applies to various areas in our lives, but it just simply means that we've been given things that we haven't earned, that they are gifts from God on loan from God, and so we have to be careful how we manage them, how we steward them. We do that with our treasure, with our finances, but also with our time. Time is precious. Time is valuable. And we ought to be careful how we use that time to best steward it for God's glory. So I want to read a little bit um, before our passage for some context. I'll go back to James 1, 2, and then read through verse 11. This is God's authoritative, inerrant, and holy word. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And let the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also would the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that your word is the only accurate and clear lens by which we can look at the world around us, and that we can look at our own lives, our own hearts, that we can look at our circumstances and the people around us, that you can give us an accurate picture of what's truly happening, and then an accurate picture of what's wrong and what we need to change. 
Uh, Lord, I pray that we would not go to this mirror of your word and walk away unchanged, that we would just not be hearers only, but we would be doers as well. Lord, grow our faith in you as we walk alongside of you, as we are yoked together with Jesus. May our Christ-likeness be seen as you disciple us along. Lord, I pray that this scripture today would be in our hearts and lived out in our lives throughout the rest of our day and week and for years to come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're kind of introduced with a question if we're going to properly apply this sermon. I don't want to run to application too fast. I want us to figure out, though, what we should be listening for. Two different persons that are mentioned in this section. Verse 9 talks about the lowly brother, and verse 10 talks about the rich. We're talking about poor, and we're talking about rich. It seems like I should be able to figure out if I am poor or if I am rich. Seems like a binary question. Either you are or you're not. Like you are a man or you're not a man. That question seems like, on face value, I should know which I am. But I think there's some subtlety to that. There's some relative poverty and relative richness. You even hear it in the way that the culture talks about the super rich, not just the rich, and the extreme poor. And so it seems like there's a scale of poverty and riches. The definition uh, from the dictionary of poverty is poverty is about not having enough money to meet basic needs, including food, clothing, and shelter. All right, you all can just go home. Don't even listen to that part, right? How many of us have really can say that right now we don't have a roof over our heads, a beautiful one at that, and we don't have food on the table, we're not being cared for. So that assessment doesn't really give us a, a, any room to be calling ourselves poor. So, of course, the government helps us to determine what poverty is. I've heard that term poverty line. You live either above the poverty line or below the poverty line. How do we set this, this line of what is the poverty line? Well, in the 1960s, I came to learn that the U.S. government used an equation to determine what government programs and aid and assistance would be available to you if you were below a certain income level. And that was determined first off by what it would cost to have a semi-nutritious diet. How much would it cost you for food? And then they took that number for a family of four and they tripled it to cover housing, to cover clothing, other necessities. I don't know why they used that particular metrics, but they did. And so then you have for a household of four, what is the poverty line? Three times what it costs to eat food. And then you can scale it to add more people in the family or less people in the family. So I googled, what is the poverty line for a family of four? And in 2021, I looked at that number for my family of four, and I realized I make over three times the amount of what is the poverty line. So I am definitely have to be incredibly rich. Isn't that true? But wait a second, I can't just use that assessment alone. 
And so I started to think, well, I drive a 20-year-old car, and, and my house is worth half of what the average house is worth in this zip code, so I must be poor in comparison to the people around me. And as I'm going through this process, as I'm trying to discern, am I rich or poor, I'm starting to see the, 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 the wisdom of what James is doing. He's kind of luring us in to think, yeah, if you think you're poor, there's more poor people. If you think you're rich, there are more rich people. On some level, we all struggle with poverty and riches. And so this message, I think, we can hear with ears that point us to the truth. Our thinking, though, gets clouded. It gets confused. It gets confused by our sinful understanding of things because we want to make ourselves look better, and we do so by usually putting other people down, either making moral judgments about them based on what they have or what they don't have. We think better of ourselves. And the world has a different message too. Uh, There's the cloudiness that comes from the world's message of what really matters most. What are the priorities you should have? What is the American dream? How you can best get it? And so the cloudiness of the world's message, the cloudiness of my sinful heart is something that we have to see through. Today in our passage, we'll see that because sin clouds our thinking, we need the wisdom of God to pass the tests of time and treasure. Treasure is what is addressed first in verse 9. We're going to see how does James tell us to endure the trials of poverty. Verse 9 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Seems pretty simple and straightforward, but we have to break it down almost word by word. It says, let the lowly brother What is that word lowly talking about? Well, we know it's the same word that is used of Jesus in Matthew 11, 29. The the sermon we heard preached a couple weeks ago on how to quiet a noisy soul. Jesus is the one who's saying, come unto me all you who are labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am humble and lowly. Jesus is lowly. But this word also, if you take it in a literal function, just means low to the ground, like base, like not very high up. And so when you're talking about somebody's um, stature in society, the status of their riches, that's somebody who's poor. That's somebody who is at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, so to speak. That person who is humble, that is lowly. Now, it's also mixed together with, we talk about their humble circumstances physically, materially, economically, but we also talk about somebody's humble disposition when it comes to their spiritual condition, their spiritual life. In James 4, a couple chapters later, James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the word humble, the same word that's used here in James 1. Peter picks it up in 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Low-mindedness, think of yourself less. This is the model that Jesus gives us in Philippians 2, that he didn't consider equality with God as something to be held on to, but he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, lowly. The low brother is lowly in his material goods, but he is a lowly brother. 
James is clear that this is not an exhortation generally to all poor people. This is for poor believers. Because this exhortation doesn't make sense and it doesn't really fit for just people that are plain poor. It is a poor believer that can make sense of what he's going to tell us. A brother is a fellow Christian, someone who together calls God our Father. He's my Father. He's your Father. That means that we're brothers. In Christ, we are brothers or sisters. So, if you don't understand the gospel, how he reconciles, how Jesus reconciles us to God and makes God our Father and makes this other believer our brother, you're not going to fully understand what he's going to say next because he says, let the lowly brother boast. All right, I think that boasting comes from pride. Pride is from the devil. That's what the original fall from grace that uh, Lucifer, who was an anointed cherub, he was the highest ranking angel, wanted to be God and take power from God. So pride can't be good. Boasting can't be good. Yes, that's true. But there are occasions in the, in the Bible where we're told to boast in something that is good. It's the subject that you boast about or the object that you're boasting in. And so when the scripture says that we are to uh, boast, it's, it's a word that literally means to have your head up high. And uh, it's the very opposite of this imagery of the, the, the down low brother. The low, lowly brother should hold his head high in what? What is he boasting in? What is he glorying in as it's translated elsewhere? This is the key to the understanding. This is the gospel key to understand God's wisdom here. It cuts through the cloudiness of our sinful pride and it points us to where the only one who's worthy of boasting is. We see in many passages where it's sinful, but there are other passages like James 1 where boasting is actually called for. And it's good to boast. See, what's made, what makes us understand this is as he speaks to brothers and sisters, not just about material gain and, and, and treasure, we can think of it in terms of our spiritual treasure. What do we really value? Are we valuing the things of the earth and the stuff that we can get? Or are we th valuing those things that will last past this earth into eternity? We see that we're to boast in or ex, uh, boast in our exaltation. Well, how is the poor person exalted? Well, it's not materially and physically. It's not in this time, but it is eternally and spiritually that we can claim that exaltation. I think one of the keys to unlock this is, is how uh, J Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 talks about this, this boasting it says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. Okay, here's all the what not to boast in. Don't boast in those things, your wisdom, your might, your riches. This will be repeated in other places. Some boast in chariots, some boast in horses. We boast in the name of the Lord our God. Jeremiah goes on to say, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Oh, we boast in who we know. 
We boast in who knows us. He has caused us to see him and to understand him, to embrace him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the things that bring God delight, and they, th- they ought to bring us delight. Not just delight in the here and now, but delight in what's eternal. Jesus refocuses us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't lay for yourselves up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure exposes your heart. What you treasure is where your heart is focused. James 2, verse 5, James says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith? So we think of what is lowly and what is poor materially, you have to refocus your thought to what is spiritually exalted in your life because of the gospel. The key is unlocking your a brother or sister in Christ, and so these riches are yours. You see, there's a lie that we believe about money when we're poor, and that is, I can't make it without riches in this life. I can't make it without riches in this life. But the truth is, you're far richer than you can ever imagine in things that matter most. You can boast in your exaltation in the Lord. Practically speaking, what does this look like to endure the trials of poverty when we're poor? You may be tempted to complain to God. You may be tempted to envy and jealousy about what somebody else has. You might be depressed and sad and grieving over what you think that you should have. You may be worry, be sinfully worrying that you don't have enough, that you need more. You may be tempted to cheat, to steal, to get what you think you need. Those are some of the practical temptations of the, those who are, are poor. But what should we do? Jesus says, recalibrate your thinking. What are you really treasuring? If you are looking for earthly riches, they're going to go away. But the spiritual, the heavenly ones, they can never be taken away. This idea that the one with the most toys at the ends wins is a lie. The, the one with the, the, the most toys at the end dies just like the one who had the least amount of toys. You can't take them with you. We ought to recalibrate what we treasure. We ought to then boast in the Lord. Our boast is in Him. Because where did this treasure come from in the first place? It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come through our efforts and our abilities and our power alone. God is the one that makes us rich. Recognize that our riches spiritually are extreme. You have been lavished with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In the Beloved, You have an inheritance that can never perish or fade. You have everything that's been gifted to you in the gospel that you will ever need for all eternity. And those riches ought to be what we dwell upon and boast in in our poverty. Here's the enduring uh, temptations of poverty, but there's there's the next verse, verse 10, where it, it teaches us about resisting the temptation of riches. We're told, and the rich should boast in his humiliation. 
all right, that just sounds backwards. That just doesn't make sense. You're going to be rich, and what are you going to boast in? What brings you down? How do we understand humiliation? Like Jesus, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 3, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think that's the humiliation James is talking about. Luke 6, 20 says, He lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus can't be saying that what makes you an inheritor of the kingdom of God is that you don't have this world's money. Uh, being poor doesn't make you part of his kingdom. So being poor in spirit or being spiritually bankrupt is how we are ought to see ourselves. You may be rich. You may be a rich brother. But know this, that you're humiliated in your ability to earn anything with God. Your riches can get you a long ways here on earth. It can do a lot of things for you. But when you stand before God and say, oh, God, what is it going to take for me to get it? Nothing. You, you can't pay for You can't earn your place with God. But sin clouds our thinking. It makes us think that my riches make me happy, secure, and important. That's the lie that we need to confront when we are struggling with this temptation of riches, that my riches make me happy, secure, and important. My worth, my value, and my significance for me is determined by the balance of my checking account, by how my investments are performing, how much land and, and, and house and car can I boast in. That's where we find our happiness, our security, what we see uh, make ourselves important. But that's a lie. The truth is that we're broke, we're destitute, we're bankrupt beyond all measure because of our sin. No matter how much money we have, we stand in desperate need of God's grace. You see, when we look at our wages that we earn, it's because of our effort. But when God talks about his kingdom and how we may enter his kingdom, we can't come by our wages. It's not of works, otherwise we could boast. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. You see, it's a gift that it cannot be earned. Riches tempt us to think, I can get that, I can make that happen, I can secure that for myself because I earned it. The economics of the gospel is you can't earn it. It's only a gift. I don't care how much you have excelled in this world's goods. You need to know you're spiritually bankrupt. You're destitute. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, Paul says, I consider your calling. For you, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God showed what is chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing those things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Because you are in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Because you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Look, the temptation of riches 
is that I am okay with God because look at what I got. I can get this achievement. The lie that my riches make me happy, secure, and important need to fold to the truth that says you are actually far poorer than you really understand. What are the practical temptations we need to resist with riches? Well, we're tempted towards pride in self, looking down on others. We're tempted to trust in our stuff, not in God. We're tempted to use our stuff to manipulate and to get stuff, get others to do what we want. We could be tempted to be a, a hoarder or a miser, to be selfish, to be stingy, to be wasteful with our money. What should we do? We should boast in our spiritual bankruptcy, our poverty. Lord, I got nothing. Spiritually, I'm broke. I'm humiliated. And then steward the resources that he does give us in ways that are eternally minded, in ways that are kingdom minded. Invest in eternal things, in people, in gospel ministry. Give, give sacrificially to God's kingdom work. One way or another, whether it's poverty, whether it's riches, we have to learn how to find contentment. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we thought we, we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money's not evil. It's the love of money that leads to so many problems in our lives. Where your treasure is. To sum these two points up about poverty and about riches, I like what Alec Moyer put, he, the way he put it. He said this, to his financial adversities, the poor brother says, says, but how rich I am. To his earthly glories, the rich brother says, but what a wretch I am. Each keeps life in the perspective of eternity. Oh, we just so engrossed with the here and now. We're so engrossed with the, with the physical and what we can have right now at our fingertips. And we lose sight of the eternal spiritual realities. James wants to point us back. Cut through that cloudy thinking. Cut through those lies and believe the truth that the gospel sheds light on your treasure, where you should treasure. Finally, this area of our time accept the fragility of life. I, I kind of split this off into another point because I think it's so significant for us in our day and age to consider. It says in the end of verse 10, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. It's talking about the rich man. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, the flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Yeah, but the poor man isn't immune to that either. Time happens to all of us. We will all be gone before we know it. Time is so short. It is fleeting. 
It's a, an extremely precious gift that we've been given. Again, a stewardship that we're responsible to care for and to use in ways that would please the one who gave it to us. God gives you the gift of time. How will you use it for his honor, for his glory? Because it's marching on. Just like flowers, just like grass, the sun comes, withers it, and it's gone. So also will the rich man fade away in his pursuits. We look back at how this phrase is used or how this uh, imagery is, is before us. In Isaiah 40, a voice calls, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the, all the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fades, but the word of our God endures forever. In this stewardship of time, in the way that we should consider time, cut through the cloudiness of, I got all the time in the world, I can get, I can get to that whenever, by realizing life is short. Realizing what is eternal. God's word endures forever. God's word is eternal. In 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25, it says, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and his glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news which was preached to you. That good news is you've been born again. Not of a perishable seed. This is what will last forever. All your riches won't do it for you. You think you have all the time in the world but it's going. It's fleeting. I listened back to when Pastor Tony preached this sermon, thirteen year, this passage 13 years ago, I think it was now. And he was saying in that message, he's going to go back and listen to it now. He was saying, oh, I'm on the cusp of 40 years old. I'm 37 years old. And man, time is flying by. And it's like, this thing has been so quick. And now I wonder, at 50 years old, has it gotten any slower? It's ripping by at an incredible rate. How are you redeeming the time? How are you making most of the time? Don't believe the lie that, oh, I got all sorts of time to, to handle that whenever. Uh, in 2015, uh, Janie and I went to visit Pastor Ivan, our missionary in Moldova, and also took a trip to Ukraine for me to teach at Kiev Theological Seminary uh, Biblical Counseling. I met Pastor Yvonne and the, and the people that he works with doing mercy ministry with them. And we did a, a, a seminar on how to do biblical peacemaking with the Moldovans who are now serving the Ukrainians, helping refugees. The, the, the pastors that I was training in biblical counseling were, in fact, dealing with a lot of the same problems that we deal with here in America. There were marriages that were hurting. There were people that were struggling with depression and anxiety. There were prodigal children that were astray. There was conflict in the church, normal, everyday stuff that we all need God's word and help for. But I see those pastors today ministering in way different ways than they would have thought about just 12 years ago or just seven years ago. Life is short. Lots of things can change. Lots of things happen. Accidents happen. Sickness happens. Violence and wars happen. But how should we orient the use of our time? 
Spend your time on what matters for eternity. Time with family, time with people. Share the gospel with people that you know. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Zealously pursue kingdom priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom now. Set that priority. So as we conclude, we, we've looked at enduring those trials of poverty, poverty. The lie is I can make it without, I cannot make it without riches in this life. That's the temptation of poverty. But the truth is, you are far richer than you can ever imagine. In resisting the temptation of riches, the lie is my riches make me happy, secure, important. But the truth is, you're far more poor than you really understand spiritually. You need God's grace. You need the gospel. And when we understand the gospel, it puts into perspective, we can accept the fragility of life, that the flowers do fade, the grass passes away, the sun comes. The lie is, I have plenty of time. I'll get around to it someday. The truth is, time is short. Treasure correctly. So the world we live in definitely clouds us. Our own sinful thinking clouds us in terms of time and treasure. The priorities of this world are physical. They're not spiritual. Uh, the priorities of this world are now, not eternity. We need the wisdom from God's word to cut through that, to see through that. We'll have different priorities because the wisdom of God informs us. Sin does cloud our thinking we need that wisdom of God to pass the tests of time and treasure. I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to look to Jesus as Paul describes him in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are teaching us what true spiritual riches are and how your Son left the glory and splendor of heaven so that he could be made poor, born of a woman born under the law, that he could be obedient to you in all things, perfectly following your law and yet suffering and dying in our place so that we might become rich. Lord, help us not to minimize the riches that we have in Christ. Help us not to maximize the rich, riches that we have in this world. Lord, help us to see with all humility what you have truly brought us to. You brought us to a place where we are bankrupt and there's nowhere to turn but to you and to your marvelous grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.